Hey there, friends, and welcome back to the New Blocks, episode 21 of the educational part of this podcast series. It's been a while since we've done one of these, and today we're going to talk about staking. Exciting stuff on the blockchain side in terms of securing blockchains, proof of stake, and on the economic financial side in terms of staking tokens and then uh, getting some rewards for that, locking them up and getting a return. So two very exciting topics, two different parts of the staking environment and a term that has become kind of loaded, Kevin. Uh, how are you, buddy? Welcome back. What's been going on with you? Doing well. Uh, not a whole lot going on. Works good. It's. Uh, I was looking for some relevant news. I think a lot of times in these educational ones, we try to come up with some piece of relevant news that's, uh, you know, in this case, staking related. I can't say that there's a whole lot has changed. This is a concept that has been around in crypto for a while. Um, and so like, you know, new things in the staking world, it might be uh, different exchanges offering, uh, the ability to stake or like different tokens releasing. Um, but I think to your point, the, the term has become a bit loaded at this point and it's worth digging in. I wanted to make this episode so that we could go into some of the nuance here and, maybe uh, make some comparisons to like traditional finance, because I think some people have a concept of, uh, of staking already without really knowing the, the new term. Okay. Well, I like I love it when you get uh, excited about definitions. Uh, and proof of stake is relevant to all the Ethereum fans out there because it has been uh, the highly prized solution to getting off of proof of work and switching Ethereum to proof of stake. Uh, and some of the other side chain like scaling solutions like Polygon are operating on proof of stake. Uh, Ronin in the Axie universe, currently proof of authority, but will be moving to proof of stake in the very near future. Ron's been out there to be farmed, but you can't unwrap it yet. So it hasn't quite been released into the wild, you could say. Uh, but th there might be some staking news coming uh, coming up in the future. I think you know, five years ago, we definitely would have thought if we could get in our little time machine and just listen to ourselves talk that staking for ETH would have been out by now. You know, this is one of these yeah. things that's taken a little bit longer than expected um, and is complicated because it does have really big security implications. Um, and the, the way they're testing this is there is a version of ETH 2.0 with staking live. It's just in like a, a test form, correct? Yeah, sort of. It's 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 in production, um, but it's a separate blockchain than the one that you use when you transact on with Ethereum. So um, I think a lot of this episode, it, it will be based off of what we've talked about in the consensus episode a little bit earlier in the series. Uh, we we kind of like dug into a little bit more about consensus mechanisms, about the difference between proof of work and proof of stake. Um, and, you know, Ethereum is always a good example because they've been in this transition for a while. I think the original estimate that Vitalik put out on switching to proof of stake was something like 2014. Are you serious? And, yes. <laughs> uh, and he recently uh, was like, put he put together a list of like things that he got wrrong over time. And that was one of them. And he basically wow. said, you should laugh at me for this because this is pretty terrible. Yeah, well, uh, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I, I yeah. you know, working on the developer side, I can definitely speak to uh, how difficult it is to project how long things will take. The early Axie roadmap, especially, was very much like that. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll make land in a year, no problem. Like, you know, we'll have all this and that, and all these different features. And you start building and realize, oh wow, putting all this together is just a lot harder and a lot more time consuming than I realized. And 
Uh, people don't realize that the environment that you're building in is still relatively crude compared to a lot of the traditional centralized tools. I think, you know, like uh, yeah. there's always the problem too that the the test net is not the same as the main net, uh, and that's one thing that we learned a couple times. Like when you're competing for block space is sometimes different when you're not competing for block space, um, and that little difference can sometimes make a you know all the difference in the world when you magnify that onto like millions of users at the same time. So anyway, I, I digress. That's a, a different kind of rabbit hole. But um, yeah, maybe let's talk about consensus a little bit, buddy. What, what do we got yeah. with this rabbit hole here? Yeah, and I think it, it couldn't have been, back to my example of Vitalik's estimate, it couldn't have been 2014 because that was like before Ethereum. But regardless, like it has gone way past <laughs> the, <laughs> the amount of time that uh, he anticipated. So let's quickly define staking in the sense and it, when you google this term you'll see a lot of different definitions the one i would throw out is the process of locking up crypto in exchange for rewards or interest that's kind of a broad definition um but within that there are kind of two major subgroups of staking when people talk about it um so the first one is referring to staking that exists on a layer one blockchain network um, such as Ethereum is in the process of it, of transitioning toward it. Um, Tezos has been around forever. Um, uh, Cosmos, Tezos, like a, a lot of these, a lot of these blockchains that, um, great once, once, a, yeah, once Ethereum was released and announced its plans to switch to proof of stake, they, uh, newer blockchains decided like, okay, well, we think that's probably a good idea. We're just going to start on proof of stake. Mm -hmm. um, there, there was kind of a pretty valid reason why Ethereum chose to start on proof of work. And that was really to help um, disseminate Ether, the asset, into a, as decentralized a group as possible. Um, part of mining and proof of work in, in general, the one benefit to it, especially starting out a new currency, you don't have to necessarily... Um, convince anyone that this thing is valuable and therefore you should lock it up so that you can earn more of it um, and you know kind of like create this new thing and try to convince people in the same step um, with mining and proof of work you burn uh, electricity and so like that's sort of the value that you are extracting and now we we have a starting point at least this token should be worth the the cost of that electricity, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, and you know, mining hardware in the case of Ethereum uh, graphics cards are accessible pretty much everywhere in the world. Um, so that's a kind of a good way to to decentralize it as much as possible. Yeah, that's the the key part about proof of work that I I try to use to break through to people uh, because I say it's an imperfect solution. But when you think about what's one of the most like basic common denominators across all humans around the planet, it is electricity. And now it's becoming like access to computing power. Yes, it has gotten to the point where it takes like extreme computing power to really make a difference. But uh, you know, that's the point we're at now getting to that point. It does spread things out quite a bit. And when it comes to proof of stake from a consensus mechanism, um, it's very easy for it to become a thing where it rewards the rich for being rich. And by being rich, you put up more money and you make more money and it kind of compounds. And over time, you end up with this same issue where a lot of it floats towards the top, right? And I, I think that's why the proof of work starting point feels like uh, maybe it provides a little bit of insulation there when you start to scale things. 
Yeah, and of course, if you look over at Bitcoin, you can make the argument that that they are already far along in the transition of essentially that the people that mine Bitcoin now aren't individual users; they are big organizations that have a ton of capital, and so like it's it, it was an inevitable thing and to some degree in the proof of uh, work world. But I agree that um, yeah, I think it kind of made sense uh, and allowed Ethereum to kind of push off that a little bit um like so one within the the category of layer one network making uh one thing to understand is the purpose and the purpose changes when you're talking about um layer one network staking versus single asset staking which we'll talk about after um you know staking a currency on top of a blockchain something like axs um isn't used to um, at like the layer one uh, blockchain, right? It's level. not used to secure the network. It's staked for like financial rewards. That, that's kind of yes. the other side of it. Same as like Sushi Swap, right? That was the Sushi Swap novel novelty that they added into the or novel invention, I should say. They took what Uniswap did and then added rewards to it. And you have the Sushi Swap token, and you you can lock up your sushi and you can stake it, so to speak, as just a single token, no pair, just by itself, no impermanent loss, no risk in that regard in terms of fluctuation. Uh, beyond what you would be exposed to anyway for holding the token and it'll pay you a rate that fluctuates but you know in the tune of like 10 to 20 percent or something uh apr and that's 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 pretty good that that's a, a pretty uh i mean if you want to be holding sushi anyway that's not a bad uh, a bad reward and of course there's been times where i think part of that rate has to do with fees that come through the protocol some of that gets reverted into the bonuses for the staking pool so those rewards go up you know based on more people using the website versus how many people are staking and then that draws more people into the staking pool and it kind of becomes this feedback loop that almost just serves as a marketing machine it gets people on your platform and once you have sushi and you're getting these rewards, it's very convenient for you to use all the other things and maybe get into some of the double token pools, you know, uh, like Ethereum plus something else that you want to be holding uh, and all these other things. Like th that's where I stake Ethereum and YGG tokens to get YGG and Sushi tokens as a reward. Um, and to bring it all back full circle, as Kevin was saying, that is totally separate from the like Ethereum level protocol staking that secures the network. Um, they're they're called the same thing, but totally different trees uh, of the definition. Yeah, I, I think the way I would describe the difference between these two uses of the word is that uh, blockchain staking is for security, and single asset staking is for you know incentives. So it's like for a, the economic lever that you can use to adjust to adjust the incentives for your platform. You know, in your case, you use the example of um, uh, of like sushi swap or any of these other where you, uh, you're, you know, maybe you're earning some of the sushi token for providing two different assets, but then you can take that sushi token and stake it and just earn additional of it. That's sort of a, a lever that they can pull to, uh, disincentivize people from just dumping their new sushi onto the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it seems weird and it almost took me a little while to wrap my brain around when I first started staking. You know, the, the having two different pools made sense to me, you know, like staking on Uniswap in a pair. It's like, okay, yeah, there's, there's people on both sides of that and you need liquidity for this smart contract to be able to facilitate the trades. I, I understand what's happening here. 
I, I didn't understand when I the first time I saw like Pancake Swap on the Binance Smart Chain, which is just a Uniswap clone, but over on BSC. And there was the Auto Cake pool, like when I started, whatever, eight months ago. It was paying like 110% APY in the auto auto staking pool that like compounded every 10 seconds or whatever anytime somebody claimed the free transaction. So like, I, I don't know, man, that kind of blew my mind. Like, how could they afford to do this? And the answer is it's, it's very short-term focus, right? You, you can't afford to do that forever. And the rewards usually start high because you're trying to draw liquidity in and then it keeps the token price high because it's locked up. So people can't sell it while it's locked up, even if they can easily withdraw it. Your game theory wise, you're more likely to keep it locked up if you're getting pretty, pretty good rewards, all things equal. Um, and it helps kind of bolster this whole cycle you have going on with, um, the high emissions that are required to pay that kind of a return on a, an exchange token like that. So I, I don't yeah. know, maybe that got complex in terms of tokenomics, but it, it, I really, I think like comparing it to marketing dollars re really is uh, a good analogy in the sense of the crypto space, because that, that's like, you know, you're marketing to crypto people. You're trying to get them to bring their money off of another platform and put it on your platform, because once it's there, it takes effort to move it to another platform, right? So yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, and, and another thing to kind of compare it to in your head is right now the Fed is figuring out what they want to do in terms of like adjusting interest rates and, um, you know, inflating the dollar at whatever speed they decide. Um, that's happening at the like US macro level. Um, I think of a lot of times the, just at a very high level when a, project is determining what makes sense for their token, you can sort of think of it similarly, where um, the, the Fed needs to take into account the entire economy, SushiSwap only really needs to figure out what makes sense for SushiSwap. Um, so a little bit, a uh, little bit of a, a comparison, but like one, one comparison I would make to the uh, layer one network staking side would be thinking of it kind of like a government bond. When you give your US dollars to the government in exchange for a bond, they are using that money to strengthen the economy in whatever way they decide. Um, and you are earning interest in the process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they might go spend that on military budget um, to secure the border or whatever it is that they decide. Um, and in a similar sense, the layer one network staking is doing the same sort of security, right? You are locking up your tokens in exchange uh, for securing the network and you're being paid for securing the network uh, in interest. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, another comparison. Yeah, no, I like it. And I think when, it also depends on the tokenomics of like the specific token you're talking about, you know? And when you're structuring the distribution of a token for any given project, Normally, if you do a token sale, it's not like you're offering 100% of the tokens available to the public for the sale. You know, that might be like 10 or 20%, maybe 5 or 10% go to co-founders, maybe another 10% will be used for marketing dollars. In the case of Axie, there's like a big play to earn fund of like, okay, this is just money that's reserved for rewards and prizes in game over time. 
And depending on how you have that structured and what their unlock is like, sometimes they can be built in a way where the majority of the tokens that already have a finite supply are behind these very reasonable walls. Like, for example, the play to earn fund doesn't get unlocked until they release like the beta version of the game, you know, something like that. You lock it up in some sort of a, a, even if it's just a a social contract of um, how these things are going to be distributed that can have a really big impact on your ability to, to pay rewards and, you know, kind of sustain this, this higher, you know, APR over time. I mean, I think the AXS single token staking APR is going to stay around that like 80 to 90% uh, unless there's a huge injection of people depositing more of it uh, into the staking pools. But now this is like the, the, we're in the constant emission phase for the next like three or four years or something. So it, it's going to stay relatively steady unless there's big user growth or uh, big amounts, you know, being injected. So um, yeah. It does also come down to good tokenomics sometimes and that discipline of like, you know, Axie did an ICO, what, three years ago now, something like that. Then being very disciplined with those token emissions over time, that can be really powerful if your project does start to, to grow in its scope and uh, its player base scale or user yeah. base, I guess I should say. <laughs> yeah, yep, definitely. Uh, the, the, the thing to think about, I mean, every every project is going to be different. Every token is going to have a different market cap um, or total supply. And so when you're looking at a token, there's um, sort of the, the economics at play will have to do with how much of the token is in circulation, how much exists uh, in total supply, are new tokens able to be minted? Um, and a lot of this is going to play into what, uh, like what the economics will, uh, will effectively be when you have, um, like a, a sort of, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, just the general idea of, you know, you have a, a, a token that is in inflating and, you know, let's say, I, you know, maybe, I don't know if this was actually it, but that iron uh, finance one mm-hmm. where Titan. Um, Titan, that was it. Yep. Uh, where the APY was something uh, pretty nuts. Like what was it, that? It went a, up to a billion. It passed a billion, billion percent I think, at interest. Its peak. A billion for... percent APY return. <laughs> like uh, when you get into that, that, that I compare to like a nuclear reactor exploding where like it's this uh, series of, um, you know, more higher rates in like draws in more money, draws in higher rates, and it gets to a certain tipping point where the whole thing just falls apart. And that thing felt like collapsed over yeah, the course I, of a, an hour or I, so. I don't know if I no, it was longer than that. It was more like a week, yeah. but the okay. last day it, it crashed over the course of like twelve hours on its like final yeah. descent down to zero. But um I, I don't think I can explain the entire system just offhand because it was slightly clever, but it had something to do with like a stable coin that was backed by like 70% USD, which is another stable coin. Then that remaining 30% was uh, another token. And then there was like another token on top of that that was some sort of dynamic percentage thing that tried to fill in the gaps. Um, and when you there was like iron and titan, and you used iron to mint titan, so That's Titan right. was this thing that, or Iron, I guess, was this thing that would fill in the gaps somehow. And um, yeah, the rewards were built where it was a fixed amount, but then all of it was getting locked up to mint Titan. 
So iron had like no supply and everybody was trying to buy yeah. it so that they could mint the stable coin that was getting really good rewards. But the iron was also getting really good rewards and all the rewards were fixed. So as the prices went up, the technical like interest return just like went through the roof because it was the same amount of tokens regardless of what they were worth. So when those tokens go like, you know, a thousand X or something, it like compounds like crazy. So you know, every second you're make you're like making visible money if you put a couple ETH into it because it's yeah. a billion APY, dude. A <laughs> billion, not not a million, a billion. It's a lot of zeros. It's a stupid... maybe. All of that is to say, <laughs> if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing that Mark Cuban famously lost a lot of money on that people yeah. uh, kind of rake him over the coals for, and I think what he got blasted for kind of is that he kind of used that to say like, maybe some regulation's good. And it's just like, yeah, maybe, but this also is not like, come on, man, this one was clearly not like, uh, yeah, uh, th this is, that was a do it, your own research. Well, and it's, it's hard <laughs> to regulate stuff until it happens too, you know? So it's like, it's yeah. a clever idea of the way they stacked stable coins on top of minting another stable coin. So it had some backing, but then it had this other thing that could also scale in pricing. It was almost like uh, they had this idea and then the feedback loop kicked in and it was like, oh my God, this blew up way more than we thought. Um, yeah. Who knows? Maybe it was more nefarious than that. I really don't know. Uh, but I, th that was a really interesting thing to observe in real time and just see it like actually crash and you start to see how fast it's going down. You're like, I think this is going to zero, like for real, actually for real, like sell right now, right this second. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's yeah. rare that you see something do that. It's really rare that something goes from like $100 to $0 in 12 hours. Yeah, that was like pretty catastrophic failure and was pretty, uh, yeah, stuff like that in crypto. Um, like it's a good sobering reminder that like all of this that we're doing is risky and all of this can you know, the, the value can change. Just in general, my thought process is don't put anything into crypto that you're not willing to lose. And in that case, like <laughs> there, there's a pretty big risk spectrum within crypto. Like you can you can have some pretty safe bets, even like US dollar stable coins are technically crypto. And, and like, mm -hmm. yes, there's different risks. But that was the far end of the risk spectrum. <laughs> and, um, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff like that. I think um, it just this is an, another reminder that staking is a loaded term um i think the <laughs> yeah that was technically staking that, that yeah. was what we called it <laughs> yeah like that that was like a rube goldberg machine uh that that was like very different from the concept of staking elsewhere yeah. um but like the an example would be when i say like you should stake your axs um, that might mean putting your AXS in the single asset staking pool on Ron, uh, on Ronin. And, um, or it could also mean, you know, go provide liquidity to the AXS ETH pool. Right. Um, and, and like, you know, sometimes people use the term staking in that way. I think, I think that's more so liquidity providing, but that's also like a, uh, yeah, people a, call a them both staking phrase. and it, it yeah. is. One it has a completely different risk implication with the impermanent loss yes. uh, than the other one does, for sure. Um, I, I guess you're right. There are different terms, but somehow they got all muddled together. And yeah. now we just refer to all of it as staking. Um, and it is interesting on the Axie ecosystem because you'll be able to stake AXS from like a financial kind of reward in the staking pool just as a single token. And then I imagine 
uh, right? There will be some sort of like staking thing for Ron because that's like like ETH is to Ethereum as Ron is to Ronin. That's that's like the right. thing that you'll pay for with gas and that right. secures the network. So there's also staking there, but it's it's like the layer one style of staking. It's it's there for security yeah. and is a consensus mechanism um, and serves a totally different purpose. So maybe it is time that we start delineating these terms, like kind of our buddy JD Hyper, he's he's coined that term now, or maybe he hasn't coined it, but he's been pushing the game token term um, instead of utility token for these games. And it's sort of okay. like a differentiator between, as an example, uh, Supducks, they emit vault tokens. You use those vault tokens to do stuff in the environment, like, you know, upgrade the frogs and make the megatoad. That's what I would describe as a utility token. It's sort of like yeah. gamified and it's emitted and you use it to do stuff, but it's, it's, diff it, it's fundamentally different from a game token that's being emitted as rewards for a game that's sort of designed to be replayable. And like, you know, like an Axie scholar plays Axie kind of every day or like five days a week or something, you know? Um, it's, it's just a different tokenomic design uh, as opposed to a fixed set of NFTs emitting a fixed set of tokens uh, over a certain period of time. It's just w way more complex than that, especially when you start to uh, start to scale it. So maybe we need some more terms, you know, as the ecosystem grows and as all these things continue to evolve, um, you know, we, we need some, some more accurate words to, to communicate with each other. Yeah. And we need to um, like, yeah, be be very deliberate uh, when you're when you're using the word stake in particular, uh, because we do have some words like liquidity providing, even though that's not fun to say, LPing for short. I'm... Um, but but even there, like I I've I've struggled to uh, describe the difference between like staking, LPing, and farming. If I if I were to try, <laughs> if I were to try. Uh, I would say staking is generally single asset. Liquidity providing is generally uh, two assets where you are earning um, usually exchange trading fees in the process or, um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's probably it for LPing. And then um, farming is oftentimes where you have, where you are liquidity providing, um, and on top of the interest that you're earning, you are being paid for with an additional token, I think like the sushi swap example. But again, these yeah. are all kind of just like high level, like maybe. Well, so then these what do you the call right staking for a node? If you run an Ethereum node, what are you doing? That, that would staking. just fall into the staking bucket. Yeah, yeah. You're I wouldn't just put staking. that into the, any of the other terms. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, okay. That, that, that's your anyway, baseline. Words are hard. That's yeah. The, but let's uh, let's jump into a couple lightning rounds and uh, wrap this bad boy up. Uh, so, why do protocols and exchanges have this single token staking? Um, you know, w what does this help? Yeah, I mean, I think this goes into the examples that we were giving, like um, Sushi Swap or Pancake Swap. I I just try to think of it as um, I think yeah, the marketing dollars is a good way to think of it, and um, like economic levers is is another good way to think about it. Um, I think, as you mentioned, it's something that um, needs a, a kind of long-term strategy. If uh, Uniswap, when they launched their Uni token, they started out offering some pools where, like, it, you know, if you stake to the uh, 
ETH die pair, then they'll give you additional rewards in the uni token. They did that for a short period of time and they haven't really done that again. But that's like kind of a, a tool they have in their back pocket in the future if they want to bootstrap liquidity um, for some new asset pair. Uh, another example would be if they wanted to uh, incentivize people to provide liquidity on like a layer two, if if they want to go launch on some new layer two and they want people to move their tokens over there, they can say, hey, guys, like you can you can earn nothing on uh, mainnet or you can go earn additional uni tokens over here. But that needs to be taken into account with a longer term, um, you know, strategy of what they're really doing, because, uh, you know, it is kind of similar to marketing dollars. Yeah. Cool. Um, so would you characterize staking or just this, these different approaches to locking up tokens as good or bad? Um, and you know, we, we talked about Titan as an example, but how do, um, these single coin staking pool APYs, uh, you know, go up into the hundreds or the thousands or the 10,000 percents APY, by the way, is, um, annual percentage yield. Yeah. Uh, just so the, it's like... the interest you would earn if that amount were uh, coming at you for a full year. Yeah, and compounding. So the, like the difference between APR and APY, APR is non-compounding. So it's like you put this money in, this is the interest or the return that you're getting, and it's just coming back to you and not being put back into the pool. APY is calculated where if it's like auto-compounding, so to speak, so the money that you're earning is getting put back into the base principle. So over time, that earns more rewards as you're earning rewards because your rewards go back into that, that base point. So APR versus APY. Um, either way, 100% APR is amazing. That's, that's in, insanely high. Um, we talked about it earlier. This is one of these things that it just kind of is. It's part of the ecosystem. It's a reward structure. Um, like anything else, it's a tool. It can be used for good. It can be used by anonymous folks for, for bad. You know, we've seen a lot of, especially on these side chains where it's cheaper to do transactions, a lot of these like pretty clear pump and dump type tokens. And when you look at their tokenomics, their emissions are really aggressive at the beginning. And it builds up as people like ramp up uh, to, to bring liquidity on and, uh, Anytime the demand outweighs the supply, things go like this. But the real question is what controls the supply? And in a lot of these token emissions or a lot of these games or protocols where there's a breeding or a time element, eventually it starts to expand in a non-linear way and that supply then surpasses the demand and that's what causes the dump as the you know too much of it comes out in the marketplace. Uh, to, to sustain 100% um, you know, APR means you have to continually increase the amount that you're emitting in terms of new tokens being issued to people. And then when people sell those, that's the sell pressure that makes it go down. So it's not inherently good or bad. It's really how you use it and how you implement it into your ecosystem. Um, and I think it can be done responsibly where 100% is actually realistic, as we saw with the, the Katana launch, with the amount of liquidity that was put over there uh, for those premium rates at the beginning. But you know, it's already down to 88% uh, just through emissions alone because, yeah, it, it was ridiculous to pay that, that intro. So you always have to look at the timing and the tokenomics and the strategy behind it to really get that clear picture of why is this number so high for any given token or protocol. That makes sense. Um, all right. So 
Uh, how do you stake ETH? The layer one stuff, the the protocol, the or the, the 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 consensus. That's what I was trying to get at. Um, how do you actually stake it? Is it running a node, or what's the what's the setup here? Yeah, so there's a few different ways, and it, this is going to be different for different networks. Um, for Ethereum in particular, um, the the first way would be obviously just manually running your own node. So the requirements for running a node that is staking uh, is you need 32 ETH, which if I were to check that right now, actually, do you mind pulling out the price while I'm talking? Uh, what that comes out to? Um and the percent that you earn, I think at, currently at the time of recording, this is like 6.5 or so percent. So um, it's uh, 2,500. So what's 2,500 times 32? 80,000 exactly. So 80K-ish, okay. 75K. So it's, yeah, it's uh, not cheap, right? So I think the this is an area of criticism that um, people that are entering the crypto space will point to and say, uh, okay, well, you want everyone to run a node, but it's going to cost me 80 grand at today's price uh, to run that, right? Mm -hmm. So a couple of things to understand. One, you don't need to stake to run a node. Right now behind me, I have a, a node that I'm running. Um, I'm currently setting up and syncing, plan to stake eventually. Um, so it's just but, a node. You don't have to stake to have the node there that just helps right. support the network. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. And, and you don't get paid of... anything to do that. It just does it Correct. for the love of the game. Okay. For the love of the game. Yeah. Um, now the, the 32 ETH staking, then like when, once you decide if you, if you are going to do that at the moment, uh, the, because we're still in this transition phase, going from proof of work to proof of stake, uh, when you choose to stake 32 ETH, you are locking that away and there is currently no way to unstake. Uh, it is a separate blockchain that only functions as the ability to import ETH from blockchain that's currently Ethereum and it you're basically just locking it away. Um, it's on the roadmap once the merge occurs, once we've combined these two blockchains and now we have a single um, blockchain that does all of the transaction and does proof of stake, then they will uh, the d developers will add the ability to unlock it. Um, but that is sort of the, like if you were to decide that you want to run a staking node, you are locking away money for an indefinite amount of time. So it's something to really consider. Um, you can also, you know, you can have a physical node, you can run it through an online hosted provider like AWS. Mm -hmm. um, it, typically this is like ultra hard mode. I wouldn't suggest uh, you do this unless this was just like <laughs> totally your jam and you're willing to do this. Um, the, the easy mode is something like Coinbase. You can use a service like Coinbase where they provide staking as a service. So you choose any amount of crypt of ETH that you want to lock up. It doesn't have to be the full 32. It could be, you know, 0.001 ETH. And they'll lock that away. They'll, they'll add that to a staking node. And, you know, they'll cobble together 32 ETH from a bunch of different users. And mm -hmm. then they'll interest on it and they'll pay you back they do take a pretty sizable cut i want to say it was like 25 percent of interest earned uh, or something along those lines so i think if you stake through uh coinbase you'll earn closer to like five percent at the moment and again these these fluctuate with how many but it's easy you, you just put yeah. it there and it's you know basically connected to your account that you can use to cash out whenever you want yeah. to so there's yeah 
But the the caveat there is with uh, you actually can't cash out. They have not yet implemented the ability to do oh. what is called liquid staking. So they are okay. sort of constrained by the fact that you can't cash out on the actual blockchain. Um, but they're moving to the next one. There's a concept called liquid staking where um, you add an additional token into the mix. So there are two, uh, Lido and Rocket Pool, that are liquid staking providers that uh, you give one Ether and the smart contract produces one new token. In the case of Lido, it's called STETH for staked ETH. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of Rocket Pool, it's RETH. Um, and this new token is something that you can hold and trade with people on the market. So even though the underlying ETH is still locked away, you can go sell your STETH or your RETH to someone else. So in that sense, it's like more liquid. It's called liquid staking. Um, And so this is kind of getting into the more of the medium territory where you do like in order to to uh, stake with Lido, you don't necessarily have to run a node or anything. You just need to hold the STETH asset so you would have to use something like uniswap or uh any other decks and go trade your eth into stake eth into st eth and you would earn the interest while holding it mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah uh, it's sort of meta it's like it's almost uh it's like pegged to eth but then you get the rewards of it like it's staked it's interesting very interesting yeah and that is a general concept uh is kind of uh, it's kind of fun because a lot of these other networks that are sort of like based off of, um, you know, like tangential to Ethereum can can uh, take this general concept. Uh, I, for a hackathon project, built a liquid staking protocol with a team um, called Tenderize Me. Mm. <laughs> I came up with the name. I'm pretty proud. Uh, and it was for a couple of specific networks. It was like Keeper, Token, uh, a few others. But the, the general premise was the same, right? You you can, uh, instead of like locking away an asset and not being able to touch it, you get an IOU receipt uh, and then you can go sell that receipt. Um, and like there's some differences between Lido and Rocket Pool. But I think at the end of the day, um, those kind of fall into the, the medium difficulty bucket and um, are a bit more decentralized, I would say, than the coin bases of the world. Mm, I see. But you have a lot of options when it comes to making okay. ETH. Um, I think, you know, for the, the newcomers, you can't really go wrong with just locking up a little bit in Coinbase, but just know that you can't unlock it. Yeah. Uh, keep, keep it simple. I, I think that's the... Uh, it, it gets complicated pretty quick, and you, you can work your way up and, you know, start with some, you know, some single tokens that you believe in. I think in general, that's good advice. Start with things that you believe in and then look for the opportunities that surround that in terms of staking and rewards rather than trying to chase the rewards. Chasing the rewards is a tough game. It, it's not an impossible one to win at, but it's it's deceptively hard. And there's a lot of other people trying to stay ahead of the curve that you have to be competitive with. And, and that becomes a, a game uh, all in of itself. So it's much better if it's like you're buying an asset that you really like. You know, if you like the sappy seals and you buy one, you're like, I love this seal. And then they say, hey, now you can stake your seal and get some blubber. Well, dude, that's awesome. That blubber is just like a bonus for having that little seal that you were going to have anyway. If that's the mentality, then staking's awesome. But uh, yeah, I think chasing rewards, having been there a little bit last year, it's uh, it's stressful. It, get, it can definitely get stressful. We had a friend that uh, got into Titan that was very much stressed out by it. And uh, I understand why, because it was crazy. It, at any moment, you felt like it could just take a nosedive, and then it did. So 
yeah. maybe that's a good yeah, thing that, to, to leave us I on. think, uh, yeah, that, that, <laughs> just the, the reminder that even if you're earning whatever percent interest on a token, like the value of the token is kind of the important part there. So <laughs> you could be earning a billion percent interest, and if the value drops to zero, it doesn't really matter. There's an Axie guy named R-A-U-R who uh, tweets regularly, and uh, after the market crashed the other day, he said, you know, me doesn't want to hold USD because it loses 8% of its purchasing power every year. <laughs> ETH loses you know, 35% of its purchasing power in two days or you know, something to that effect. And it's just like, I think it was 14% in one day. But either way, it's like, yeah, yeah I, uh, I feel you on that. I feel kind of silly because you get caught up chasing those gains and then you realize... You know, when stuff's going up, you're like, oh, my God, why do I have dollars? And when stuff's going down, you go, oh, yes, I'm so glad I have dollars. So it is it is really important to diversify. It's a really stupid old platitude. But, um, yeah. yeah, being overexposed to crypto is only fun when it's pumping. When it's not pumping, it's really unfun. You know, you feel like I'm diversified. Look, I've got Polkadot. I've got Chainlink. I've got all these different tokens. I've got NFTs, Kevin. Look, I've got Cardano. a Megatoad. And then you realize that everything is like part of the same ecosystem. And sometimes the whole ecosystem just moves together you know and sometimes it's related to the market outside it could be COVID or these other big world forces that drive the whole thing but um yeah even though the usd has got its issues it is it is nice to have some stability maybe we should start holding euros kevin maybe this is where it's at you know let's start is that the new gold picking up euros it's not a bad idea i feel like uh (laughs) diversity within stable coins is, is an interesting way to to diversify (laughs) that's yeah no that's an interesting topic maybe for another future episode but of course never financial advice here folks Uh, we appreciate you listening uh you can find us on all the normal places you'd expect to find a podcast excuse me it's a pleasure to be back and we'll see you on the next version of the new blocks peace 